welcome to Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Huai Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And I'm joined by my two co-hosts. I am Anya Crittenden, a writer at Geekstar News. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So, H.C. is back. She's back from her trip to New Zealand. I'm back, guys. To the fantasy world of Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. And Which it really is. It's, it so, is. So, with world. that inspiration, as well as a whole bunch of news about new fantasy stories being adapted to, uh, to like, TV shows and movies uh, this past couple weeks, we, just fa- we decided we'd talk about the current state of the fantasy genre on adaptations and stuff. Because there's a lot going on, and we figured we'd talk about it. Yeah, um, but before we dive in, I believe we have a word from our sponsors this week. Yes, it's a new sponsor. We'll get right into it. The Millennial Falcon is brought to you by Swords. Stick them with the pointy end. Swords from the makers of Blacksmithery. That's a really great... I've always wanted a sword, so like that sponsor is like... Oh, yeah. I got to hold um, one when I was in New Zealand. A replica of a sword, to be honest. I, but My dad... Uh, he has a couple swords uh, from his navy days, and all no one sword is from his navy days, and one sword he got I think when he was in Scotland in the seventies because it looks very Scottish, um, and it also doesn't look like something from the navy. Um, but they're cool. I've held them. They're it's they're short handles, but they uh, they uh, they're sharp. Um, let me let me tell you when I was like thick in my weeb days. Oh my god, I love it. We went to, um... <laughs> Did you have a Final we went... Fantasy sword? Did you have a we Buster went... sword? No, we went to Little Tokyo in LA, in downtown LA, and I bought a katana. I love it. <laughs> and oh, then, yeah. to make matters even dorkier, <sighs> because I loved Hiei so much from Yu Yu Hakusho, and he has a red ribbon tied around his katana in the in the show... I got a red ribbon and tied it around my katana. And I got, like, a fully black katana like his. I'm... <laughs> I, I love hearing about everyone's embarrassing weave days because it's the same level of embarrassment for everyone. It really is. But then I went to Scotland and I got a little sword letter opener. Oh, so it's adorable. like my little mini sword, um, which is a really cool letter opener. But I want, like, a, I want, one day I want, like... A replica of, like, Aragorn or something, and to, like, mount it on the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got to hold a replica of Sting, which is the perfect size for me. And it's, it's <laughs> such a, it was so fun holding it. It was def, definitely a out-of-body experience. Did it glow? Did, I was going to say, did it glow? It glowed in my mind. <laughs> so, so in your were, mind, like, there were orcs yeah, around. I was going to say, yes. there's orcs everywhere in your mind? Yeah. HC, are you okay? Oh, dear. Yeah, HC, are you, are there, like, orcs just running around all the time? I'm fine. Yeah. I had Sting. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so back on topic, I guess. Well, we're still on topic. We're just uh, a side tangent. Um, so we're talking about fantasy today. It's something we really we've always kind of like looped, lumped into like when we've talked about like genres and stuff. Um, but we, I don't think we've ever really had an episode about it. Um, why don't we talk about the news of like the past couple of weeks? Uh, so like production, uh, we've got a Narnia adaptation coming from Netflix. What do you guys make of that? I'm a little sad they didn't finish the Narnia feature films because I actually really liked the cast that they had with it. 
And I liked most of the movies. Um, I remember really enjoying Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian. Um, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader less so, but that's because it was obviously done kind of in a, uh, like, shoddy way. It was, like, very fast production and everything. Uh, but I was looking forward to them doing the Silver Chair and then the Last Battle, um, Silver Chair especially, because I was really interested in... Oh, who's the guy who played Eustace? He was really good. He's gone on to do some several prestige projects now. Wasn't it? Is he Poulter. the guy who was in Dunkirk? Was it Will Poulter? It's Will Poulter, yeah. Will Poulter. Oh, wow. Oh, I was like, little baby, like, chubby Will Poulter. Baby Will Poulter. And he was great in... Um, fat ass, baby fat ass. Yeah, in uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And I was like, okay, I could dig it. I could see him being, like, the hero in Silver Chair. And... Uh, I was a little disappointed we didn't get to see that because it's definitely one of the darker Narnia books in the series. And I was really interested to see what they did with it on screen. But Netflix being like the infinite money hole that they are, I'm sure that they'll be able to do justice to the Chronicles of Narnia series. Um, And honestly, it'd probably be better as a series just to get into all of the details and all of the and like the scope of it. Um, I'm afraid that, like many Netflix shows, it will just kind of disappear into the cracks. But because it's Narnia and it's a very big property, I'm sure it'll do fine. Um, do you think they'll adapt a horse and his boy? That has some problematic little... implications yeah. in that story. That, so that's I why, because it's like there's a lot of stuff in Narnia that's a little awkward. Yeah, they're pretty. They're pretty right to skip horse and his boy for um, in the future films. Um, yes. Magician's, Magician's Nephew is actually quite interesting, even though it's like the most overt, like Adam and Eve creation oh, story. Yeah. That's the other like part of it is that like the first book and the last book, they are Genesis and Revelations. Let's mm. be real. Um, so there's like a lot. It'd, it'd be really fascinating to see like what how Narnia takes it with like the Christian adaptation, like the the. Not undertones, but overtones. The Christian overtones. And this is Um, the first time that Chronicles of Narnia has been adapted to TV either. If I remember from the 90s or 80s, there was a TV like miniseries adapting Chronicles of Narnia. At at least a few of them. I don't remember if it was all of them. But um, it was... Like BBC, right? Yeah, yeah. It was definitely like a very TV budget. Um, So I'm sure this won't be the last adaptation of Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, It won't... It's... I'm sure it'll be great. I'm a little. I'm just a little sad about the cast for the future films because they were so good, and I really they wanted were to so see them. So good in the future yeah, film, exactly. Like, they were wonderful. I love the Chronicles of Narnia, like uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I still love that movie. It's a really good film. Oh, they, it's really. It, yeah, they yeah. did a good job. Yeah, they um, really honed in on the the imagery that made it so just like iconic, essentially. And I, I know that you that was a movie that I think made you fall in love with James McAvoy, isn't it? Anya? That was the first movie I ever saw him in, yeah. <laughs> Shirtless, fawn, Mr. Tumnus. Man, this fawn know, so is it's hot. Been, it's been 13 years since I fell in love with him, and it was as a fawn, so he was not horns. sure what that says about fair, me. He was a very little, hot fawn. Little uh, horns? Well, I mean, you know, being shirtless probably helped. He was a hot fawn. Like I also H-G like says. that he wasn't a ripped hot fawn either because he was like just he was really cute he had those beautiful delicate features and you know he he looked good shirtless but he wasn't like ripped like a lot of Mm -mm. fantasy films you'll see not like he isn't for the movie split oh yeah or wanted yeah true true um but yeah no i'm with uht i do like that we're going to be getting dueling 
Christian and atheist fantasy TV shows at the same time. Yeah. Because um, we also have the BBC, His Dark Materials. Um, and I am, people are shocked to find this out, but I like both. Um, Me too. They're they're shocked because I'm an atheist. <laughs> um, and they're like, you like Chronicles of Narnia? And I'm like, listen, Chronicles of Narnia has its problems. Like, anyone who doesn't defend Susan at the very end of the series is, like, dead to me because Susan is wonderful. And I, like, hate that metaphor. Um, But I love fantasy, like, so much. It's probably my my second favorite genre next to period, but they're both very similar because they're both very escapist. Yeah. And Chronicles of Narnia has wonderful fantasy elements. So, like, I think His Dark Materials is smarter and more complicated, and it says more, and I definitely like it more, but Chronicles of Narnia is still really fun, and, like, I can, I'm, I'm one of those people where I can, like, push aside all the Christian themes and stuff and just be like, oh, like, a fantasy realm and adventures. Yeah. So, like, Aslan is just a lion that can talk. Why not? It's fantasy. Why not? It's, like, it's a fictional fantasy realm. Oh, yeah, no, no. I'm just, I'm just, because, like, Aslan is nothing but a Christ metaphor. Oh, no, completely. And, like, the whole, like, you know, like, sacrifices himself and then, like, comes back to life. And I'm like, okay, yeah, like, it's definitely Christ metaphor. It's a super but... powerful moment. Let's, let's get real. But also you could just be like, okay, well, like, Gandalf comes back to life as Gandalf the White. And I'm like. That's true. That's not, like, a Jesus metaphor. When Jesus comes back, does, is he wearing white? Is that, like, a thing? You should know I have this. No idea. I don't know. <laughs> Me and Anya are like the least qualified to talk about that. <laughs> Jesus the I will gray say, and Jesus though, the white. Despite C.S. Lewis kind of screwing Susan over, he did accidentally create one of the most interesting female characters with Susan. <laughs> he did. And he did. It just, like, so from many... like an author point of view, he was not doing it intentionally. From like a feminist point of view. Yeah, but she's actually like one of the most interesting feminist female characters. Uh, there's so many great think pieces and academic articles that have been written about her. And I remember, like, her story kind of coming back into my consciousness again recently because of that little Tumblr thing that went viral on Twitter. The her and Harry thing? Her, yeah, the her and Harry thing. Where it's, Have you seen that, Willoughby? I don't think where so. Where it's, like, oh, it's so a little sort of short thicklet in which Harry Potter, as an adult, like, go uh, like kind of exiles himself from the from the wizarding world as sort of a break from everything all the adventuring and he like goes to live in the muggle world and he meets this woman who um also like this older woman who also had been like exiled from the magical world and they bond and talk over it and she's just like she's really sad because she was just um she was pushed out of this world that she was part of for so long and it turns out that's susan and it's, oh, it's a really beautiful it's such a good it's such a good read yeah it's great. so so we recently have like a we have this like slew of fantasy adaptations that are coming in we've got the the we've got amazon's lord of the rings prequel that isn't the hobbit but also isn't the silmarillion um i guess it's going to be about aragorn well so i'm confused because like it's only like one ring.net is the only source that was like we've confirmed with multiple sources it's going to be about young aragorn and then other people reported that yeah but I don't think we have, like, official confirmation from, like, the showrunners or Amazon that it is going to be about Aragorn. Gotcha. I mean, I won't be surprised, like, if they're correct and everything, but I don't think we have, like, official synopsis for yeah. the Lord of the Rings show. But whatever. I'm so excited because Lord of the Rings. So, okay, so you guys, so 
so you Anya, you're excited for it. HD, are you like what's your like My reaction <laughs> upon hearing that news was immediately, oh, Amazon is really intent on getting their Game of Thrones. And I, I mean they are. Yeah, they are. And yeah. I think that's like partially the reason that all of these fantasy series um are starting to get put in development and starting to get kind of pushed forward because Game of Thrones is soon ending at, at HBO. HBO of course, is planning like multiple spin-off series that will keep this brand going forever. Yeah, but they I want think prequels. that like a lot of networks are really eager to get their own Game of Thrones. And um, I've, my one hope is, even while we're getting all these great fantasy properties, they won't try to turn it into Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones yes. is successful for like a series of reasons, but because it takes a really a realistic approach to this. Uh, high fantasy uh, story, this genre, genre, and that's something that's written into the books themselves. But if you try to transform Lord of the Rings, for example, which is like peak high fantasy um, into a Game of Thrones-esque story, I don't think it'll work. And I hope that isn't the case with Amazon series. Um, There's a lot lot of interesting um, story and uh, narratives that you can pull from Lord of the Rings uh, that, that are twists on the that high fantasy series without making it just like gritty and realistic and politically motivated because um i'm I'm not the best person to talk about this we might need to get mike sillingle on because he's like talked his ear talked my ear off about this for several times but the interesting thing about lord of the rings is that it takes place like post post the golden era of this supposed world of middle earth and it's um, basically very drawn from J.R. Tolkien's own experiences in yeah. World War II. And you can draw so much, like, juicy narrative from that um, in terms of, like, those, like, war parallels and analogies. So, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I just hope that they don't make it into no, Game of Thrones. It, no, it makes sense, because, like, I, to, to come off of that, I saw a Tumblr post that was, like, highlighting all the ruins and old statues in Lord of the Rings and how, like, there's a, like there's like a ton of evidence to like form a thesis that like Lord of the Rings takes place in like a post-apocalypse almost mm. like yeah. a, like a world in ruin. Yeah, that's um, basically it. Um, and with, I think yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating look at fantasy because usually when we think of fantasy, we think of like everything is like at its peak in the golden age. But ironically, Lord of the Rings, which is like the baseline for a lot of our modern fantasy stuff, is like almost like a po- like a, a post-apocalyptic story about how like they're trying to rid the world of this ever encroaching evil. Mm-hmm. Um, I am excited. Uh, I'm hesitantly excited for the Lord of the Rings prequel series. Um, I think that it could be good, but I also don't want it to be like kind of what we've seen with other prequel series, which is like, Oh, this is how Aragorn became Strider. Or this yeah. is how, he was like, going through uh, the, his version of TSA and, uh, they basically, right. and he was traveling alone, so they called him Solo. He was he was striding along. He was the, striding the along, and they're like, you know what? Called, I'm gonna hey, call you Strider. That guy's striding all over the place. What's your he's name? Such sir? A, he's such a Strider. Like, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to say my name. We'll call you Strider. Like I don't <laughs> want that. I don't want it. I no. want it to be like in the world of Lord of the Rings, but not like. This is how these are Bilbo's parents. These are the like, uh, you know, like the, this is Gandalf's older brother, Landolf. Like, I don't want like that. Landolf. Like, I don't want that he's like, like it's fine because like, you need connections to the series because Rivendell, Lothlorien, like all these places exist, 
and like all these people exist and like obviously they're gonna have ancestors but i wouldn't want it to be like you know like oh the proto fellowship of the ring who have to go stop something like i would rather have it be like almost like the silmarillion where it's like almost like a story about the creation of the world or like the how these how the you know like who are the wizards like how are they people like i like obviously these questions are answered in the silmarillion but like a lot of the mainstream audiences have only seen lord of the rings and maybe mm-hmm. the first hobbit movie um and read <laughs> only the, book, the first hobbit movie <laughs> and read the books which the books have a lot of history but like the silmarillion i have it on my desk collecting dust because it's such a tough like oh it's tough to read it's tome. tough to get into mm-hmm. which the lord of the rings is also tough to get into because Very dense. like 100 chapters of it are about the elvish language um yes. So like, I'm like Tolkien, I admire you, but also yeah, yeah. Like, stop making so, a history book. I mean, that's fine. I that's why I enjoyed the Hobbit, reading the Hobbit more than Lord of the Rings because the Hobbit the is just a, book. it's a good adventure. Yeah, it's just one single adventure. So like, we're getting all these like readaptations and reimaginings of these stories. How do you guys feel about the fact that like, it almost seems like the adaptations are not branching out into more diverse authors or characters Wait, stories. Do you mean that you want more stories like the first Fantastic Beast, which was telling a completely original story and something actually interesting, and now they're turning it into this bullshit with Grindelwald and racism and queer phobia? Is that what... Are you saying that you don't want things to be like Fantastic Beasts? Yes. (laughs) Yes. I think so. I think... I think Game of Thrones and Fantastic Beasts should be, like, these two pillars of, like, here is what not to do, folks. <laughs> don't have sexual violence against women and children, and also, don't be racist and homophobic. Those are some good baseline rules to have. Yeah, one of the most infuriating things for me is that when talking about a fantasy series that depicts this sort of sexual violence against women, people say... That's how it was in the old days. I okay, first of all, it's so not much. the old days. This is a fantasy series. They are there are dragons here. You don't need to talk about the old yeah, days when this thing takes place in another oh. world. Maybe in the future. Who knows? Everyone's like, oh, it's it's about the War of the Roses. You know, it's an it's an allegory for that. It's like, no, shut up. Like, dragons. It, it can be an allegory for the War of the Roses exactly. and still be a fantasy world where you can make whatever you want up yeah you don't need to do an exact depiction of what happened in the war of the roses i love the allegory that's one of my favorite parts of game of thrones and that it's like analogous for you know riverdale it river riverdale river run is uh france for example the south of france winterfell the scottish highlands blah 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 blah. so i really love that kind of stuff but i don't want an exact replica of what happened in history i want something that's like a fantasy twist on it fantasy i mean like i mentioned before like part of the reason we love fantasy at least why i love it is like is the escapism Mm. and the fact that like you can do whatever you want but the fact that it's you can do whatever you want and it's all of the mainstream, most successful fantasy stories are still dominated by white men. There's a reason my Lord of the Rings tattoo is, like, specifically feminist. is because the tattoo I got was specifically saying, like, I love this world, but also Tolkien, you gave me, like, no female characters. Yeah. Because I have the word, I have the word strength and elvish on my back with a crescent moon for femininity. 
Ooh, I like that. And I'm like, and I'm like, listen, Arwen and Eowyn are great. They but also have very similar names. And more women existed in Middle Earth, I'm sure. So it's like in this in this genre where literally anything is possible. They're like, yeah, it's still just going to be like a lot of white men. And the racial implications of Lord of the Rings are also very troubling as well. Yeah, with like the orcs standing in for minorities, essentially. Mm-hmm. But there are so many great authors of color and female authors whose works could be adapted to great TV series or movies and have not yet been tapped into. Tamora Pierce, for example, which I know Anya has said that Tamora Pierce is a little bit is against having adaptations of her Yeah, she said before that like she doesn't want her stories adapted by Hollywood. Um, and so I'm not sure if we'll ever see them adapted. I don't Does know if someone would do it like Hollywood. I mean, that's what she said in interviews, but like I'm trying to figure out like like how else it can be adapted but not get like a big release or Yeah. Yeah. Like I guess I mean, be, I like, think, I mean it would be well suited towards a T V series because It would, yeah, it, and BBC can do it. Yeah. I would love a Tamora Pierce adaptation of one of her many series. Uh, she always has characters of color and female characters at the front of her stories, and they they're so rich too. Um, I just and again, it's just she's such a great storyteller. Um, another uh, female author who is often overlooked in the in the stretches of like great fantasy authors is Ursula K. Le Guin. Uh, some of you mm-hmm. may be familiar with her work from having read uh, Wizard of Earthsea in ninth grade English, for yes. example. But I I was such a fan of her series, of her book, especially, I think I really like The Tombs of Atuan more than Wizard of Earthsea, which is, I think, the third sequel in that series. Uh, it has a female character lead, of course, but it's a really dark and kind of weird and surreal uh, book that would make a very unique TV series or film. Um, I haven't read it in a long time, so I can't remember the exact specifics, um, but that would be great. I think we've had this kind of conversation before in our podcast about books and sh- and uh, and series that we want to be adapted. I've talked about Tombs of Atuan before, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I might have talked about the Abortion Trilogy, which is another one about with a female character. It's written by Garth Nix, who is a male author, but that one would be really fascinating. One about... Um, raising the dead and all that fantasy that goes into it. But there's just an untapped well of really diverse, really interesting fantasy series that I think could be ripe for adaptation, especially since we're seeing so many now. Yes, agreed. I, agree. I also want to give a quick shout out to Diana Wynne-Jones, because I think more adaptations of her books would be wonderful. Um, she wrote House Moving Castle. Yeah. Yeah, so we have, like, the uh, Studio Ghibli version of that, um, but I don't think a lot of her other books have been adapted. One of my favorites is Fire and Hemlock, um, and it focuses on a young female protagonist named Polly. And Diane Wynne-Jones is just so wonderful the way she writes, and she's a big influence on, like, Neil Gaiman. Um, And you can see the similarities between the two, and I just, like like H, she said, I think, like, this genre is so expansive, and... It's just a shame that we're not that, that people aren't really like tapping into like the potential, even if it's like buried beneath all these like white men stories. Like you kind of have to like push them all out of the way to find. Yeah, it really angers the good me ones. that Ursula K. Le Guin's 
a wizard or a sea is considered one of the building blocks of fantasy and especially one that we study a lot in schools and yet it's impossible to find one of her books at a bookstore like i will be looking for wizard of Ursi or tunes that one or one of the, her many books and they're just not there at mainstream bookstores barnes and nobles and it infuriates me yeah it's yes. not great mm-hmm. yeah no i completely agree um and i don't know what i was gonna say I agree. You guys make good points. You guys are very smart. Yeah, I will bring up another book series that I want to. uh, I want think there should be adaptation because, um, so like everyone always tries to find like the next. They're trying to find the next Game of Thrones, and none of these involve dragons. And I want a book about. I want a movie series or TV show about dragons. And besides the How to Train Your Dragon movies, which are ending. Um, there's this adaptation which, to be to be uh, honest, are I have not. Bring up Aragorn? Are you gonna bring up Aragorn? I'm not bringing up Aragorn. It's Aragorn is um, bad. But it Aragorn's is bad. bad. It's but, very bad. But I will say that, um, like, I have not read the series because it was one of the series that, like, Bustle had an article that was like, "Here are ten adaptations that could be made instead of Narnia or as well as Narnia, and that are not Narnia." And it was about, um, it's this book called the 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 book series called the dragon riders of pern by Anne mccaffrey and it's a series from the 60s it's basically like these human colonists find a planet and they colonize the planet and the planet has dragons and they like domesticate the dragons and they they like genetically alter them to be telepathic and these humans are also telepathic, so like there's like this bond between the the dragons and the I mean, writers. This sounds a lot like How to Train Your Dragon. <laughs> no, there's, there's, I mean, there's, a, I mean, there's probably like you know, like, like you know, like proto versions of the uh, this, this is like that, but like, so it centers around this girl who uh, her family, her her family are were like royals who were killed in this like usurpation of like the throne, and she has to like basically like get her way to defeating him as well as she becomes like a dragon rider. And it's this really fascinating series that I've been like looking into for this podcast, but also like I might want to read it now. And as far as I know, there's never really been a movie adaptation as like there was a screenwriter hired in 2014. Um, uh, hold on. I don't know her name, but, uh, she was she was listed, but uh, as far as I know, it's like in development hell. But it's just like you know, it's dragons. It's like it's kind of science fiction because it's like humans went to space and then they colonized a planet, but then like the planet went to like low technology life style. So it's like almost like this weird middle age on a different planet. Um, but like it's dragons. It's cool. You know what other fantasy book has a dragon? What? Yeah. What? That's never been adapted. What? The Two Princesses of Bamar. <gasps> I love that book. I love Which would be that book. A wonderful adaptation. It would be so good. That book is amazing, it's and there are the, so many fans. It's by the same author as Ella, Ella Enchanted, Enchanted, which yeah. got a really bad, campy adaptation starring Anne yes. Hathaway, who did her best in the role. I will yes. say, um, but 
the who was that author? I, she always writes these Gail really, Carson Levine. Yes, Gail Carson Levine. She always writes these really subversive takes on and like feminist takes on the fantasy genre. Ella Enchanted and two, the Two Princes of Amar, including. I love the Two Princes of Amar because it has Same. you know the, these two sisters who are vastly different but love each other enormously. One is you know, the adventurous tomboy. The other is a sort of frail, shy, um, you know. Quiet type. Uh, quiet type. And of course, the adventurous one is struck down by the sickness who uh, the shy one has to go on adventure and a quest and overcome her fears to save the adventurous one. And it's a really interesting reversal and has such a fascinating female protagonist. I love, I can't remember their names, but I, I haven't read in a uh, while. It's Marilyn Addy. Marilyn Addy. Yeah, it's it's a great series. I forgot about that one. Thanks for reminding me. Of Anya. course. And I think the other thing about this is that like, my copy of The Two Princes of Amar is, like, very worn and beat up because I read it every couple of years because it's, like, a very quick read and I just love it so much. And on the cover, both Meryl and Addie are depicted as white. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the other thing about, like, I mean, any fictional story, really, is that, like, that whole, like, idea about, like, it's history is, like, kind of bullshit um, because, first off, people of color existed in history and so did, like, queer people. And so I think the other thing about adapting fantasy is that like you don't need to stick to these like outdated rules about like white people dominating the fantasy genre like Meryl and Addie could be two women of color and you can still still tell their story it's like I was talking about the Lord of the Rings prequel about being Aragorn and like talking to people and they were like well if it's connect if they're saying it's like a precursor to Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, doesn't Aragorn have to grow up to be Viggo Mortensen and therefore has to be white? But it's like, why? Like, this is fantasy. You can do whatever you want. Aragorn could be a person of color and it would be great. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I think it's similar to what we said in our rom-com episode is that just like, we love this genre. I love it a lot. It just needs some, needs some more diversity. Yeah, My also my, my big concern too is you Hollywood could take uh, stories that traditionally have some POC characters and just whitewash them as well. Uh, for example, the Snow Queen, which turned into the Disney film Frozen, actually had a wildly different story, which uh, featured a, br- a boy and a girl. Um, yeah. The boy of which is gets a piece of mirror in his eye from the Snow Queen's mirror, and which shatters into several shards all over the country. And when there's a you get a piece of mirror in your eye, you become like brainwashed and controlled by the Snow Queen and have to go to her castle and everything. So the girl is the one who sets off on a quest to find this boy. I can't remember. I think in some versions he's her brother. In other versions, he's her love interest. Um, but on the way, she meets all of these fascinating, colorful characters. And in some cases, like people of color characters, a lot of these cases, actually. So um, in that sense, I really dislike when you know, Disney or Hollywood kind of turns it into a generic adventure story and that was kind of the case with frozen i also think frozen is overrated despite having great stories and despite having two great female characters it um that it kind of took away from what we could have had huh i'm sorry tangled is still better oh for sure tangled is the better one oh agreed this is a tangled is better than frozen podcast and if you disagree you can get out actually no (laughs) 
But yeah, I, I hope that with all these adaptations, adaptations going, we don't try to mold all these series into the one formula that has worked for Game of Thrones or for uh, Fantastic Beasts or other or Lord of the Rings even, uh, which is which Lord of the Rings is great, but you know could be updated for modern times. It's great, yeah. and it definitely has like. It has everything that you want in it, like, or at least, like, the baseline, like, different races and, like, the dwarves, elves, men, wizards, hobbits. Like, there's a lot of, and, like, interesting stories between, like, the char- different characters and, like, evil versus good, which is always fun. But, and you, but you could take that and you can update it or you could, uh, you know, subvert it in a way like you could have the dwarves be like the beautiful characters and the elves being like uglies <laughs> um and then kind of like what the uh the ralph bakshi uh um lord of the rings the elves did not look pretty um so yeah i think you could you could do anything you want with fantasy there there are no rules exactly that's exactly. the thing about fantasy is that there are no rules yes. you don't have to be like well we have to make it look like the 1500s. I mean, you know, back in the 1500s, there were only white people, and, you know, that's it. That was it. It's like, no, shut up. Yeah, no, it's also wrong interpretation of history, so it's like, even if you were doing history, you're wrong. Yeah. But, yeah, that's the thing, is, like, none of these things, at least to me, like, none of these things are, like, sacred in a way where you can't, like, touch or alter them. That's the whole point of adaptations. Um, and I think telling stories that are diverse and progressive are important. And I think it's also important to realize that fantasy doesn't just mean high fantasy. Like, I love high fantasy with, like, dragons and different races and, you know, what you think of when you think of Middle-earth. But, like, Magic. His, dark, his Dark Materials is not kind of your high fantasy story. It's it's steeped in, in science and fantasy and... It still, it still feels like a fantasy story, mm-hmm. and so I think the other thing is that fantasy like doesn't need to be just contained to this one mental image of it. It it can be so much more. Fantasy can also be set in space. Like what will it be? Uh, like a certain billion dollar property that it just keeps making money and uh, re- keeps releasing new books which have been really good and really fun in um, making the world larger uh, and there's laser swords Do you happen um, to have a sweatshirt with uh, this franchise's name on it? Uh, yeah let me find it amongst all my other ones <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah no Star Wars is cons- I would consider it to be fantasy I do too actually like it's yeah, same. Definitely like there's science and there's ships and there's like technology but an x-wing could not maneuver like that in real life well it's just like it has all like the tropes and themes of fantasy stories as opposed to something like star trek yeah which is more of the like traditional science fiction i agree Um, i always see a new hope as like a first and foremost fantasy story over a sci-fi story oh yeah just because it's set in space doesn't mean it has to be science fiction which i think people like confused mm-hmm. or they don't they don't realize like just because something is set in space it doesn't mean it's like yeah exactly sci- sci-fi it's fantasy yeah willoughby you brought up an interesting point before we started recording that i think would be worthy to discuss about like why we're getting all these fantasy adaptations right now um is it because of like political climate and escapism and also like are they choosing 
the right stories to adapt to adapt right now and just kind of like what it means right now in the industry. Yeah, so we're living in a hellscape right now. Um, this weekend has been particularly b- a bummer. Um, one of the most significant bummers of my lifetime. Uh, the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court has been a real downward spiral of shit. Been a real um, side note, make sure you guys, make sure for our U.S. listeners you vote on November 6th. Oh, please vote! Please vote! Please vote! Get out the vote. Make sure you're registered to vote. Yes. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of, uh, yeah, just a side tangent here. Please vote. Um, register to vote on, uh, usually is mid-October. Um, you could vote, you could register to vote day of, but it, it's usually a provisional ballot and it might not be counted. So please vote, please register. Um, so back to what I was just saying. So I would, you know, 2016 was a real bad year and usually it takes about two or three years to like develop projects or at least to green light projects. And so like, we're getting a lot of these like adaptations and, uh, Netflix just bought the rights to Narnia and Amazon bought the rights to Lord of the Rings and there's like all these like adaptations and escapist fantasies and I think that there is there could be a correlation between like the political climate that we're in and entertainment and Hollywood wanting to be like do you guys want something that's a little bit more lighter than what you're actually living in and I think that there is that. There also is what HT brought up is people are trying to... The, the, Game of Thrones is going to leave a vacuum when it ends, and people are going to try and fill that vacuum. Mm-hmm. Or void. I'm not sure. Either way. So there's going to be there's going to be like space to be like, the next L- Game of Thrones, which Game of Thrones was the next Lord of the Rings. So like there's something there, I think, with maybe both. Maybe people want something lighter than Lord of the Rings, uh, lighter than Game of Thrones and lighter than the political yeah. climate that we're in, and, like, they want to escape. They want to be in the fantastic. Uh, Netflix has released Disenchantment, or Disenchanted, and uh, The Dragon Prince, which are, like, these two, like, animated fantasy series, uh, one's by one of the head writers of Avatar The Last Airbender, the other one is by Matt Groening, who did Futurama and The Simpsons, and it's very much, like, dragons and high fantasy but also kind of like it's animated so you could do more interesting things and i've heard good things about the dragon prince in terms of like diversity of characters and like i think that there's this really that's an interesting good push like you could also do animated fantasy mm-hmm. um uh-huh. and which you could do which can take a lighter tone can take a t- uh can you could do a lot more things than you can in in it in than you can in live action in shorter periods of time get it out fa- faster so that way people have like content to like yeah kinda, uh you know escape to for mm-hmm. a while um so i think that there is something there with all these like his dark materials being adapted again um with narnia with amazon like but i would also like to see n- other stories like we were talking about earlier like that aren't written by the same three white dudes um which We've we brought up really like the three white dudes we've talked about, like their stories are really good, but also problematic, also out of date, and it'd be fun to see new stories and diverse stories and stories that are not my demographic. Yes, except for P- Philip Pullman, he's still doing good. Yeah, Philip Pullman's work. allowed to stay. Yeah, and uh, what's his name? Rick Riordan. 
Riordan? <gasps> yeah. Rick Riordan is always allowed to stay because he is a pure baby who knows how to do diversity. <laughs> we, we on this podcast, we stand Rick Riordan. We do. For all time. Sure. Yes. I have seen, I have seen the first two Percy Jackson movies. They don't count because... <laughs> Yeah, I've only watched the first Percy Jackson movie. They, didn't, they, didn't, they, don't, they, don't, they don't really get what required. You can stand Ricard and I'm going to stand Philip Pullman. Uh, I will also stand Philip Pullman with you, though. Yeah, I'm excited for the next entry of the perfect. Book of Dust. Yes, it's okay. Same. I'm so excited for the new... I know we've only mentioned it, but like, I'm so excited for his Dark Materials because, like HT, like I love the story so much. And from what I'm hearing about like the production and the cast, I'm so excited for it. Um, I'm still just like, oh my god, Lin-Manuel Miranda's in it. That is still, like, blowing my mind. <laughs> Lin-Manuel, actually, rereading The Golden Compass recently. And James McAvoy. And McAvoy! I'm so excited. The cast is great. I'm a little bit cautiously optimistic about the director, Tom Hooper, because I don't know if he can really Same. pull off that world. Same. Uh, but the cast is so great that I have to... I have to be excited. I can't wait. Is Tom Hooper directing... Okay, so are they doing a TV show or, like, adaptations of, like, a mini-series of the books? It's a mini-series of the books. So it's going to be, like, all the books over the course of, like, ten episodes? Yeah, they're doing the first book right now in the first, like, season. So, yeah, it'll be... I don't know. Is Tom Hooper directing every episode? Is it, like, a Kerry Fukunaga situation with Maniac? That's a good question, actually. We're not sure about that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I feel like, it, yes. Because if he's like show running, there could be other directors and stuff. Yeah. Um, but since yeah. the miniseries is treated more like a film in a way, so that could yeah. be the case, yeah. Um, is there anything else we'd like to talk about with this? I, I'm, ex- I'm hesitantly excited for these new adaptations, but I also want Hollywood to be like, hey, maybe something else. Yeah. I think that's a great way to wrap up our fantasy episode. Um, yeah, just give us more diversity, give us some more swords, and perhaps a sorcery. Which leads us to our final ad of the episode. The Millennial Falcon is brought to you by sorcery. It's magic, but a different word. All right, and let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Uh, Anya, would you like to start us off this week? What do you really like? Shall um, I'm gonna have a little prelude, a little preamble to my really like. Um, just to say, it's been a really good week to be a fan of the Neil Gaiman Amanda Palmer household. Because we have gotten content from both of them this week, and the content has all been good. Amanda Palmer released a really powerful music video about sexual assault survivors. We got the trailer for season for season two of American Gods, which looks good. I don't care what people are saying about production problems. I'm still excited for American God. You cannot take this from me. Ugh. But most importantly, we got the first trailer for Good Omens. Guys, it looks so good. It looks looks exactly how I pictured it when I've read this book multiple times. I love this book. And it already has the tone down. The second... So British. So British. But also, like, the second the trailer started playing You're My Best Friend by Queen, and they really pit this as a story about Crowley and as, like, 
as friends and like their friendship and what like the apocalypse means for their friendship. I was like, yes, yes, because as, as wild as Good Omens is, at the core of it, it's really like this like strange, beautiful bond between an angel and a demon. And I love that. And I love that that's what the show is focusing on, clearly. Um, and and Angel Michael and Demon, Sheen. played by Michael Sheen and David Tennant, respectively. And they, look so, they look so good. Apparently John yeah. Hamm, of course, got a Doctor Who joke in at their panel at New York Comic Con. Of course he did. I'm so excited to see him as Gabriel. And, like, the rest of the cast is great. You have, like, Francis McDormand. As the voice John of Hamm, God. as you said. As the voice of God. Yes. Because she's um, always Derek Jacobi. Is also in it, and Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman's in Good Omens? Yeah. Yes. Who does he play in Good Omens? Um, he's playing a U.S. ambassador and, like, the father of Oh, he's of playing the that guy! War- yeah, the, the, the child warlock. Ah! Yeah. Um, it's it. gonna be so good. So I, I was like... That, hey, Crowley has red hair. He does. <laughs> yes, he does. I, also, I very much like his changing hairstyles, too. Yeah, he changes with the hey. times. And I love that Michael Sheen is, like, as is just, like, very, like, that sort of, like, anxious angel that he is in the book. It's adorable. You know what's um, wild? I, I love this book. I discovered it in high school, and I've read it numerous times, and I'm a big, big fan, and I've always wanted to see it come to life. And I remember it was always kind of, like, one of those things that Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett always kind of, like, hemmed and hawed about. Um, and then when Terry Pratchett passed, he basically told Neil to make it. Um, and clearly a lot of, like, detail and effort and love is going into this production, and I'm so excited to see it. Yeah, and this is Neil Gaiman's first time acting as a showrunner for a series as well. It is. So he's writing and um, showrunning Good Omens, which is, he's probably a lot of pressure on him, but I'm I'm excited to see what he does. Yeah, But I'm like, I'm like, he's the one to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, and... I'm a little biased. I may or may not love Neil Gaiman a little bit. I might have mentioned it in this podcast before. I don't know. I may have mentioned that you've met him. I don't know. You might, I might have heard it once or twice. I might like have met him. I might like want a tattoo of one of his quotes. It's your, fine. Your profile picture might still be Neil Gaiman after like two years of meeting him, I think. A year? I don't know. I haven't changed. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know what I would change it to. <laughs> like nothing, like nothing tops that. No, nothing really. It's, yeah. Um, so yeah, so Good Omens. Um Nothing else matters next year. <laughs> Nothing. There's no election, so it's fine. I can be like, this is nothing else. That can be the only thing you can focus on. Yes. All right. Willoughby, what's your really like for this week? Um, I've been playing Nintendo Switch Mario Tennis. Um, Anya's giving me like a desk layer? No, Mario Tennis is my jam. Oh, okay. The... The Skype was a little blurry, so I couldn't tell if you were being angry or happy with me. <laughs> um, so, I love, like, the tennis... I love tennis games. Like, the not tennis itself, but, like, playing tennis on the video game. I think it's always very fun, because it's, like... Especially Wii Tennis, because you're just, like, I dominated that. Um, but the Mario Tennis have always been fun, because you have, like, like an ultimate move. And Mario Tennis Aces, which is the, the, the Wii iteration of Mario Tennis, is really fun, because... There is an adventure mode in which you, like, unlock things to and, like, play things, but it's not great. It's 
like some of the some of the levels are super easy to get through, and then you'll come to like a super hard one, and you're like, "How do I do this?" And then you go online online to, to like ask like, "How do I beat this one level?" And then everybody has the same question, and you're like, "Oh, that's just bad video game planning." Um, but the actual like tennis gameplay is fun, and like you could like like do a bunch of cool things with Mario and his friends and his pal Yoshi and Bowser and uh, who is Bruno. your go-to um, tennis player in that game? Sorry, who is your go-to tennis player in that game? Oh, Wario. Wario, interesting. Wario. Um, what actually? That actually, I feel like that kind of makes sense. Yeah, Wario, because he's like the he's he loves he loves play he loves. Money. Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Daisy girl through and through. I'm a Peach um, girl. Although, actually, I like to play Daisy for tennis, but Peach for everything else. Um, <laughs> also, Wario and Waluigi. Waluigi also because uh, he's not in Smash and uh, Justice for Waluigi. Hashtag. Um, Can he's just is Luigi alive in this? Luigi? Oh, wait, who was the yes. one who died? Yeah, Luigi died, didn't he? Well, it's, it's part of the smash brothers thing i don't know um but i also i also like playing as yoshi because i like the tongue he goes bling bling um but there's i i just like and also uh just in general the mario games have been a a, a real good like escapist we've been talking a lot about escapist this week Um, we need it have been good to like kind of like just shut your brain off for a while and play some mario kart and mario tennis yeah um and the games are always fun and uh, Anya, if, if you ever get a Nintendo Switch, we should play Mario Tennis Online. We can do that? Yes. Yeah. Oh my god, my whole life just changed. Plus, Nintendo Switch just released. Listen, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta save up for my PS4 first. I know, I gotta save up. You know, they, uh, Square Enix just uh, announced the, the Kingdom release. Hearts story so yeah, far. Yeah, Kingdom Hearts story so far. All of the entire package of all the remixes and all the games in one. I PS4. was gonna bring that. I was gonna bring that up to you. Yeah. I was like, HT, when we get our PS4s, we have to get that. I'm getting it. That's what well, I'm saving for. Tell my girlfriend about that. You should. You should. She's gonna buy it. She probably, she probably already knows about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like the Mario games have been a real good fun this week. Agreed. All right. Yeah. My I really like. It's something that I actually haven't seen yet, but it's something that I am anticipating to really like. And that's the Doctor Who premiere is today, guys. You are like, we're recording this in the the dumpster again. I've just been watching Doctor Who nonstop. When I came back home from jet lag, I, when I came back home from New Zealand, I've been like battling jet lag and I haven't been able to go to bed until like 3 a.m. I've just been watching Doctor Who all night. I finally, I'm caught up with, um, to the episodes that I started watching like two months ago. I finally got to season eight. And I will say, watching it all together, marathoning it, gave me a greater appreciation for what Capaldi did. And also like got me to see where it went wrong with Matt Smith's final episodes. Um, but it's, it's, I, I don't want to talk about it too long, but I have a lot of things to say about Doctor Who. Maybe I'll start a Doctor Who podcast. I don't know. <laughs> That's just putting it out there. I would join you, HD. Yeah, thank you. And I'll make you watch all the Matt Smith episodes. I will say, okay. I would so do that for I'm going to talk about it a little bit because I think what went wrong with the final, like, seven season 7B of Matt Smith is that you can tell that Matt Smith was kind of clocked out as soon as um, Karen... 
Karen Gillan and uh, Arthur Darvill left because their their rapport and their bond is so strong. As soon as Clara's there, she kind of becomes like the generic companion, and he kind of leans into the worst tendencies of his doctor, which is like the twee-ness of it all. Mm-hmm. And uh, although the Neil Gaiman episode that comes in later, he gives a really great performance. <laughs> Even though that episode is bad, but I watching that episode, I realized that I do love the, tra- the time traveler's wife not just because it's a Neil Gaiman not time traveler's wife, the doctor's wife not because <laughs> it's it's a Neil Gaiman episode but because it's a great episode and that's why it deserves a spot in my top thirteen episodes of Doctor Who article now available to see on slashfilm.com. dot com. I read that with so much apprehension because I was like, oh my god, what if she hasn't put? Some of like my favorite on here. I was gonna like. Come, I was gonna like. I was gonna. You're gonna come to, like, and like. Uh, I was gonna, like be like do like fisticuffs with you. <laughs> but then you put my favorite episodes, which I hate this because I love the Doctor dances so much. And I know you love it. Goddamn Stephen Moffat. <laughs> okay, Moffat isn't like okay. Moffat is a really talented one episode writer, but when he has an entire season to to oversee, he gets in his own way. And, like, that's the big problem. And, like, one of the problems, actually, with 7, 7B and his finale for Matt Smith, which had some good moments, but was basically not really suited to Matt Smith's Doctor. He kind of does it again with Peter Capaldi's Doctor, like, that same premise of the Doctor finally deciding to never to not, not run away and to stand his ground. And it works so much better with the 12th Doctor than it does with the 11th Doctor. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is what he was trying to do. And this is why it doesn't work, because Matt Smith's Doctor is just not suited to this kind of story. Um, and, like, I could see what it was what he was doing, but just, like, it was convoluted and didn't work. Um, so, yes, Stephen Moffat is a good one-episode writer when he's in – that's his, his element. He's a good writer. Just he can't – gets in his own way. So keep, ta- keep talking to me about how much you love that article, Hanya. <laughs> I do love that article. You, you chose some really good episodes. I'm really glad you also chose the Impossible Planet. Um, it's good because it's such a good it's such a good two parter, and it also like my the shipper and me loves that episode because like you know ten basically finally admitting he loves Rose. Is um, that the one where he fights God? No, he fights the devil. The devil. devil. That's right. Yeah, and I'm also glad you put Turn Left. I love Turn Left. Turn Left is, is so good. That's I remember so watching good. it being like. I don't know if I like this because it's basically Buffy's The Wish or if it's a good episode. And it is a really good episode. I I very much put a lot into thought of thought into this this list. Um uh what else? I can tell. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh Ishii, I should watch Doctor Who. <laughs> I'm very excited about it. I can't wait for the premiere of Jodie Whitaker's daughter. Uh Doctor. Ugh, I can't speak because I'm so excited. Um so yes, I'm anticipating it. We recorded this uh before the premiere of season 11 so this is me being excited hopefully i will maintain that excitement when Just i want to check out her episode. twitter she will surely be posting I her will thoughts surely be posting and i'll also be doing weekly reviews of doctor who for slash film.com so look Yay! forward to those you're like your dive back into this like trash can is yeah, my dive paying off trash can is great i'm, I'm literally a great paying time. off I'm, it is paying off literally yeah yep it is i'm excited all right um well that is our episode if you guys have any thoughts on fantasy or doctor who or nintendo and mario or good omens come chat with us and where can they do that willoughby 
You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can also find us on SoundCloud. We're also on iTunes and Google Play where you can rate, review, and subscribe to us if you're not already subscribed to us. Hey, get subscribed. Um, smash that like button. Uh, and uh, where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Jobs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.